this is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we stepped back into the ring, and uh, it's always exciting when we get to do that, man. We had with us one of the most legendary cut men in boxing, Mike Rodriguez. And uh, Mike Rodriguez is a huge part of Wildcard Gym. He's a huge part of boxing in general, and he's also a homicide sergeant. So his perspective is just very, very interesting, man. It was cool to have him on because, I mean, who the fuck does both of those things? That's incredible. So especially given the times. So we got to talk to Mike for a good amount of time about uh, their Wildcard Gym's recent success, what's been going on with his gig lately uh, as a sergeant for Homicide Bureau. And uh, it was a phenomenal conversation, man. So... Without further ado, I bring to you the great boxing cut man and homicide sergeant, Mike Rodriguez. Alternate take listeners, what's up, baby? We're back, and we did it again, man. We brought you the crime-fighting cut man, the best cut man in boxing. Sorry, Rudy. The best cut man in boxing at a wild card gym, Mike Rodriguez. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be here on the alternate take. A little bit of a drive through, lots of traffic, but uh, more than worth it. I know, man. It's crazy out here. You know, it's a beautiful place, though. I like. We're like a mile from Angel Stadium, a mile from. I'm going to fucking Disneyland. I've got kids, so it'd be kind of weird just to go to Disneyland. But we're in a good spot. Um, but thanks for joining us, man. I've, I wanted to have you on for a good amount of time. This podcast is like very diverse. We do. I'm like not as smart as Joe Rogan, and I, and I never will be. But I'm probably just as diverse. So, you know, we do boxing, we do comedy, we do sports legends, and uh, we do local heroes too. And you're a little bit of both, which is great. So thank you, man. I'm glad. I'm definitely glad to be here. I like the genre of the different things. You know, I love comedy. I definitely love sports, and you know, very ingrained in boxing, and uh, especially the history of boxing. And you've had a couple of my really good friends, people that I look up to, and I'm glad to be here. Hell yeah! Well, let's start from the beginning. The beginning of Mike Rodriguez. I want to start from your humble beginnings. I want to know about your childhood and all that good stuff. Lots of ass whoopings by my dad. <laughs> um, we still talk about that to this day. You know, it's definitely a different day and age. Um, you know, I, I'm originally from Northern California, and my grandparents were from Central California, and they were very humble beginnings picking fruit. You know, when you were Mexican, I'm third generation, which is, I'm not going to say it's unique, but it's a definitely a different animal because a lot of the people in Southern California, they came here, their first generation or second, they have deep roots from the country Mexico. We're Mexican-American, but both sets of my grandparents were born here. So even though wow. their primary language was Spanish, they could speak English. And because of the heavy discrimination that people don't really think about down here, because your Mexicans are the majority. Right. In some places in Central California, Northern California, the Bay Area, where I really had my formative years, there's a lot, I'm not going to say racism, but there's some, a lot of undertones okay. of discrimination where you, I could see my grandparents and my parents didn't want their kids to be lumped in with, like, considered the migrant farm worker kids. Right, right. So they really wanted them to assimilate more. Does part of the culture get lost in that and the language? Absolutely. I had long conversations with my grandfather about that, like when he got drafted and he was a World War II veteran in the Pacific. I'm very proud that, Damn. that my family is four generations of military. My grandfather on the Rodriguez side... World War II veteran in the Pacific, my dad in the Navy in Vietnam, myself in the Air Force, my nephew, my brother's son, Danny Rodriguez, his there son Jacob is. was a Marine in Afghanistan and Iraq, and my daughter Chelsea was in the Army during that same during that same time, so I'm very proud of that. Wow. Everybody has a story, 
you know, and you, sometimes people are always judging people today, you know, by where they're at, where their destination's at, without really thinking about what's their journey. Yeah, best part. You know, what's their journey? And I remember my grandpa telling me that when he – both sets of my grandfather – my grandfathers knew each other. So, you know, they, they actually knew each other before my mom and dad were high school sweethearts wow. ever met. And my grandpa used to tell me, like, mijo, I would work on the railroad in my two-week vacation to make money. They'd go pick fruit. And I'm thinking, like, man, you're supposed to go enjoy yourself, you know, when you take a vacation. But yeah. that was just the mindset, you know. So my mom and dad would tell me they remember picking fruit in the summer, you know, so they could buy school clothes. And, like, my kids didn't have to worry about that. Right. I didn't have to worry about that. So I, as you get a little older, Danny, you, um, you start taking a little bit more pride in some of the things that maybe you were a little bit embarrassed about as a kid. I remember when we finally moved from Roseville, kind of a, a blue-collar railroad town near Sacramento. And my dad got a really good job. And one day we're living in, like, very below, I'm not going to say the poverty line. And, like, a week later, we're living in a very nice area in the East Bay near Walnut Creek, Concord. Damn. And we were the only Mexicans in school. There were no blacks. Yeah. Um. It was like culture shock. We had a shower. In our other house, we had a bathtub. Three dirty-ass kids in the bathtub. That water would start off clear, right? And I didn't think they used to throw my sister in there because, you know, they were going to waste two two uh, tubs of water on right. three kids. Um, we had a shower. We each had our own room. Damn. You know, and the, and, the, and, and the kids in our neighborhood were able to talk back to their parents. Yeah, do you remember the first time hearing that? You're like, oh, you get nervous, huh? You're like, oh, yeah, your because, heart stops. You think because, you're about to see an ass open? <laughs> because, you know, that was, my dad always said, if your mother calls you, you don't ever want to hear you say what. You, <laughs> Never. Better, you better just go. You're right. She's not calling you for her health. You know, so, but I had a good childhood. You know, my, my parents were always there. They've been married 56 years. I'm going to be 56 uh, in a couple of weeks. And I always tell them they had to get married because of me. But <laughs> they stuck together because that's what people did then. They right. stuck together. My grandparents, I don't even think, liked each other when they died. But, you know, they stuck together. Yeah. They stuck together. They didn't Hell sleep yeah. In, they didn't sleep in the same room, but they stuck together. Old um, school. Very old school. So I, I take a lot of pride in those in, 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 in those roots that, that my family was built with hard work. I'm not going to say I was out digging ditches and I didn't have to pick fruit. But those were the beginnings of, of, of my family and, and, and what maybe was a source of, I'm not going to say embarrassment, when I was a younger kid, but now it's a source of, of pride. It, it's kind of put the staple and the stamp of, of why I work so hard today that I try to make sure that nobody outworks me. Yeah, absolutely. And I never try to pass up opportunities. There's an old saying, and I forget how it goes, but opportunities don't make appointments. And you gotta be you gotta be prepared for that. And I had a saying this morning. I run the homicide school for the whole state of California. Wow. For sheriff's homicide, I've been there almost 18 years, and we have a new school that just started a two-week school that we do four or five times a year. LAPD, sheriffs, Long Beach, all kinds of agencies. And I told them today, if you can't be counted on to do the little things, you can't be counted on to be, do the big things. And it makes it makes total sense in this world that. Too many people want to get to a destination, but they don't want to take the journey. And that's that's just kind of one of my mottos in life, that I'm not going to let anybody outwork me. And I take tremendous pride in what I do. And there's been so many people along the way that have kind of shaped and paved that way. And you've had Gil Carrillo on. Yeah. And you've had boxing trainer and cut man and former fighter Rudy Hernandez. And you know what? Two guys that 
epitomize what real humble beginnings that make something of themselves. And and I just think that if I could be included in that, then I then I feel very grateful and very blessed. No, I appreciate that. Believe me, they say the same thing about you. When, when I told them I was having you on the podcast, that's the first thing they said. They're like, oh, man, great guy. And it's, it's so funny because it's two different worlds, you know, two different worlds completely. Yeah, and, you know, it's a funny story about Gil. Uh, Gil was like a legend on the sheriff's department. Everybody knew Gil was a very big, gregarious guy. But back probably in 1992 or 93, Gil was past the Night Stalker case, but he was still a homicide detective. I'm a young patrol deputy working in East L.A., and there was a party call. And it was one of those things where the wedding reception was on the driveway, mm-hmm. and the whole family there was on the driveway, and they're dancing <laughs> in the gravel, right? And everybody's drunk at like 2 in the morning. It was like our third time there. And I don't, okay, neighbors are calling. I get it. Right. But in East L.A., man, in the 90s, there was music playing by people all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, that's every house. So finally we get there. Me and my partner get out of the car, and there's this guy laying there. He's unconscious. <laughs> and people are literally, you could hear the tubas, you know, the boom, 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 boom. Right. And people are dancing. So we're like, what happened to this guy? And everybody's like, ah, oh, he's drunk. Something <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all right. I mean, we've all had uncles, and we've all had moments, of course. right? That's not unusual to see a Mexican guy. No. Passed out. Especially in East L.A. In East L.A. at 1 in the morning on a Saturday night. At a wedding reception, it's not uncommon to see that, right? <laughs> Leave the dude be. He'll sleep it off. Yeah, he'll be fine. So we, I was working graveyard shifts, so I get off like at 5, 6 in the morning, and I'm at home. The phone rings. Hello? Hey, it's Gil. It's Gil Carrillo from Homicide. Hey, Gil, how you doing, sir? Hey, are you going to write a report? I go, well, write a report on what? He goes, we got called out like at 4 in the morning to some guy that got murdered. <laughs> I go, well, what guy got murdered? There was nobody on any of my calls that got murdered. He goes, yeah, you know that guy, dead guy on the driveway? I go, he's dead? (laughs) Everybody said he was just drunk. He goes, no, we got a witness that said they heard, saw somebody hit him over the back of the head with a baseball bat. Well, you would would think that the fucking 87 other people that were there, right, (laughs) might have mentioned that. They're like, we're not going to ruin this wedding. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Exactly. So <laughs> I got up and I had to go to the uh, go to the station and you know write my first report. So, you know, Gil and his partner could could work the murder. And, wow. And, and those are the kind of things you can laugh about now. I'm sure the guy that got killed ain't laughing about it. Right. But, right. But it just that was kind of my first experience, you know, with, with with Gil. And I gotta say that's literally 30 years ago. Wow. That's crazy. So what made you want to join the sheriff's department when you came down from Northern California, Southern California? It's a crazy story too, and it's so I'm driving to. Ve- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna regress sometimes because that just puts the story in context. Yeah, hell yeah, of course. I'm fighting in the state championship, Golden Gloves. Oh no way! April of 1988, I had, was just getting out of the Air Force. My older son Andrew, he's 32. His mom was living down here. I was gonna fight Dynamite Derek Riles from just up the road here in Westminster. Wow. And we were going to fight for the heavyweight championship, the state championship, Golden Gloves. And Andrew's mom says, hey, the sheriff's department is testing in the morning. Okay, you know I'm fighting tomorrow, right? <laughs> she goes, go take the test. I said, you know I'm fighting tomorrow. Yeah. So we relaxed. She was actually living in San Bernardino. So I drive from San Bernardino to Whittier at the Star Center there at the academy. Right. They're literally closing the door, Daniel. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the guy's like, you're late. You can't take the test. I lied. And I said, hey, man, I just drove all night. I'm in the military. I just drove from Travis Air Force Base up in Northern California. (laughs) All right, we'll let you take the test. So we take the test. 
there's like 400 people in this room, like 80 of us pass. So then they're like, hey, you have to take the physical agility test. I said, well, when? He says, now. Oh, shit. I said, I reminded my, my girlfriend at the time. I said, I have to fight tonight. They said, dude, do you want a job or not? <laughs> so I take the physical agility test. I, uh, I fight that night. They tell me, hey, can you come back in three days to take the oral test? I didn't have a suit. Okay, I'd been in the military. I'd been overseas. I didn't have a suit. But what I did have was I had a $200 credit limit on a J.C. Penney's card. Oh, shit. There it is. And Sunday when I got back, I went to J.C. Penney's. I bought this ill-fitting suit with these cardboard <laughs> shoes and a tie. I don't even know how to tie a tie. Yeah. We never went anywhere growing up where I needed a tie. And I came back three days later, and I aced it. I got 100% on the oral test. So my plan was I wanted to turn professional in boxing. Okay. But there was something inside me that... I'm not like Canelo, Pacquiao, De La Hoya. Those guys are a different breed of guys. Sugar Ray Leonard. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Rudy Hernandez was a, was a very good pro fighter. His brother was a world champion. Yeah, okay? legend, Those guys yeah. are built a little bit different. And I don't know if I was dumb or if I was smart. And I think in hindsight now I was smart. I chose a career in law enforcement. So I'm driving to the fights because I had uh, four fighters on the pay-per-view um, last Saturday at the Mandalay Bay. That's right, yeah. Yeah, on the Keith Thurman card. So I had fighters on Fox. I had fighters on the pay-per-view. My mom sends me these pictures, and she says, Michael, you have these pictures, right? And I'm driving, and I literally had to pull over. I said, Mom, where did you get these pictures? She says, oh, your dad took them 30-something years ago. I go, Mom, I have never seen these pictures. Matter of fact, at a USA boxing reunion in October, we had world champions Michael Nunn, Buddy McGirt, a lot of top guys. We had an 80s boxer reunion. And guys that accomplished way more than I did as fighters. Right. But I got to see Derek Riles, the guy that I fought. For, we hadn't seen each other in 30-something years. Oh, wow. So I text Derek, and I said, Derek, do you have any pictures from that night? Because we're in contact. And because uh, we're now, you know, old and fat guys now, you know. <laughs> and, and he says, no, Mike, I've been looking for some. I says, well, you do now because my mom sent me about eight pictures of our fight, the national anthem, and the whole thing. And it like just made my made my month, you know, just because I'm literally driving minding my own business and I get this nice surprise, like, man, you know, letting that guy ahead of me go in Starbucks or paying for somebody's coffee just paid off by me getting these pictures. Wow. Yeah. So it's just, you know, like I said, man, the journey. Yeah. The the, the journey's what's important. I as a kid, man, I spent so many countless days in my garage or training at the gym wanting to be Roberto Duran. Wanting to be Wilfred Benitez, Bobby Chacon, Sugar Ray Leonard. Right. I mean, those guys are just, for like baseball people, those are like the Babe Ruth to of me, course. the Ted Williams, the Willie Mays, the Hank Aarons. And to be able now to actually do something physical in the ring, not fighting, but as a cut man, to impact and hopefully in a positive way to these fighters, you just never know where life's going to take you. You just never know where life's going to take you. You you obviously know who Roberto Duran is, correct? Obviously, obviously, yeah, legend. Got movies about him and everything. Yes, yes, and I was actually a technical advisor. I thought I was going to get a credit for the movie because one of the guys that he fought, the actor Yancy Arias, okay. played one of the opponents, and I kept, they kept telling him, you're going to get a technical credit because I basically choreographed with Yancy the way the Duran fight went, but oh, I got okay. screwed out of that, so... Memo to everybody else, I don't do anything for free anymore, <laughs> right? 
good work ain't cheap and cheap work ain't good. <laughs> exactly. But Yancey's a good guy and, and, and he's a friend. So I'm working some Bellator fights probably about nine years ago. And Bellator used to be on Spike TV. That's right. And they used to do yeah. fights on Thursday night. Well, I was at the Pachanga, but I had fights with Golden Boy Friday night. I had a room. So what I did is I drove after the Bellator fights through those horrid freaking mountains. The worst. The worst mountains and the worst it's road the ever. Worst. I was driving and I was scared to death. <laughs> so I get right into I get right into uh, Fantasy Springs. And I'm like checking in at like 11, midnight. And who gets out of this limo that they just dropped off from the airport? Manos de Piedras, Roberto Duran. No, no way. My idol. It'd be like, you know, Willie Mays walking in or Hank Aaron or Ted Williams or Babe Ruth. And his English isn't that great. My Spanish is okay. But the gal behind the desk, I don't know if she spoke English or Spanish. And he's asking her, like, I'm hungry because he's been on a plane from Panama or Florida. So I ask him, Dennis hambre? And he's like, see, I I ask him, what do you want to eat? And he says, hamburger. And the gal goes, hey, the restaurant just closed at midnight. There's no food. So my car was still in the valet. The limo drives away. And I tell Roberto Duran to come with me. He gets in my car, and we go to the In-N-Out Burger about three miles away. (laughs) I want to call everybody that I've ever known in this fucking world (laughs) to tell them that in my car, in the drive-thru, right, is Roberto Duran. It's insane. We get our food. We bring it back to the hotel. And me and Roberto Duran in the lobby at 1 o'clock in the morning are eating cheeseburgers. Jesus Christ. And I want to take, like, I want to be, like, total fanboy, and I want to take pictures. Right. Who who does it? That's, like, what you want to do initially, but then you think about it, you're like, "Mm, that's not the play. And I'm not that guy anyway. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And every time I've seen Roberto, like, three different times, um... He always gives me a hug. As it turns out, I became friends with his daughter, Dahlia. Wow. And she lives in Florida. And you you know, where's Roberto Duran from? Do you know? From, he's from, is he Cuba? Panama. Panama, there it is. Okay. Right, he's Panama. He's a legend in Panama. You're not going to believe me when I tell you this. Do you know that Roberto Duran is half Mexican? Is he really? His father. His mother's Panamanian. And he's a Panamanian national. But the greatest fighter in the 70s and the greatest lightweight ever, as my dad used to say, the baddest motherfucker ever shit through a hide. That's right. Is Roberto Duran. He's half Mexican. Wow. His dad was a U.S. serviceman in the Army from Arizona from in, in Panama. Damn. And Dahlia showed me pictures, and I'm like, who are these guys? She goes, that's my grandpa, and those are my uncles. And they were all U.S. servicemen stationed in Panama. And Roberto Duran is actually very proud of being Mexican, but everybody just identifies him because he's a national hero right. in Panama. Wow. But he, is, but he is half Mexican. That's crazy. Yeah. So at what point um, in your um, homicide career, which is already an, ex- an extreme career as it is, and I'm, I'm sure it takes crazy amounts of time, you got kids, um, at what point did you think, now you can fit in enough time to put in boxing into that life? They cut our overtime one time through budget cuts about 13, 14 years ago. I had been at Homicide probably four or five years. I always worked on the weekends. We were always, there was always something to do on a case. I've had tremendous partners, tremendous mentors. Sheriff's Homicide, no offense to any other investigative unit, is the elite investigative unit in the world. Wow. Sheriff's Homicide and LAPD Robbery Homicide are the two elite homicide units in the world. All respect to everybody else. 
but they are the NFL, the Levi Strauss, the Coca-Cola, the Southwest Airlines. Right, the Yankees. The Tiffany's. They are the New York Yankees, right, L.A. Lakers of investigations. Okay? Wow. Um, so they cut our overtime, and I had days off for the first time in years. I have a cousin, Al Garcia, and he has a little son that's little son. He's 26 now. At the time, was eight years old, the same age as my youngest son, Alex. Shout out to my boys, Drew and uh, Alexander Trey. Hell yeah. And um, we hadn't really been in contact because he lived up in Sacramento area like we probably should have been. He's my older cousin, but he trained some MMA guys. And he calls me one day and he says, Michael, I got these big clumsy heavyweights that are MMA guys. Can you maybe come up and work with them? Because I was a heavyweight, but I could move pretty good. I like to say I had a little bit of rhythm. Yeah. My pops has rhythm. There it you know, is. My pops would get down to James Brown. I grew up on <laughs> old school funk, the OJs, the uh, dramatics, Teddy Pendergrass. The best shit. Yes, yes. So he says, hey, Alex is sent Santino's age. Bring him up. I, so they're just not cousins in name. They grew up. They let's let, let's let them get to know each other. And to this day, they're super tight. So I went up there, and I, I kind of distanced myself from boxing because part of me inside maybe was a little embarrassed that I didn't do what I could have done or what I wanted to do. Right. It wasn't until I got a little older where I knew I physically couldn't compete anymore as a little older that I could come to terms with it. Yeah, there's still a lot of hurt there. And there is. There yeah. is. And there's a lot of self-doubt, and sometimes there's a little bit, maybe deep down in my own core, maybe I was just a little bit embarrassed for myself. Yeah. But, but I knew I, I had choosing a career was, was the right choice. Of course. You understand? Because yeah. like I told you earlier, I didn't get to make my mark as a fighter but hopefully now I get to make my mark helping these fighters. So we just established that, and I would go back and forth every other weekend, and we would train some MMA guys, guys that I still hear from to this day, that now they're not fighting anymore, they have families. I came back, I was living in Burbank, I went to Geo's Boxing Gym, kind of reestablished some connections to some people that I had. I started training some guys, guys actually wanted to train with me. Damn. Had a couple of local pros. Okay, well, you got guys like Freddie Roach, Robert Garcia, yeah. LA, Joel Diaz. You got Danny Zamora, Henry Ramirez. You got a lot of top trainers down here, okay? Manny Robles. Yeah, he's a beast too. Yeah. Rudy Hernandez. These are the guys that get all the really good fighters. I was getting, you know, some B-side club fighters. But here's the thing. Anything that I do, I always want to be the best at it. Even if I'm not, I'm going to try. I couldn't be a full-time homicide detective and train fighters. Hey, guys, I can't be there to spar today with you or take you to run. I'm going to be in Compton at, at the cross of walk and don't walk. On a double murder. Right. <laughs> so me and a good friend of mine, John Bray, who was a hell of a fighter in the 80s and 90s, he actually knocked out Tyson and sparring, I think, before the Holyfield fight, but he'll never, oh, admit, he'll never admit to that. He came up with, like, De La Hoya, Pepe Riley, all those guys in the Olympic 92 team. John was supposed to be the heavyweight on that team. Wow. We had some fighters fighting up in Fresno, and on the way back, I gave Cutman from La Habra, David Martinez, a ride. Oh, I know. I used to, I used to go to that gym. David, David Martinez. Yeah. Legendary Cutman. Yeah. I had not, up until that time in watching fights and working fights, had never, ever paid attention to what a Cutman did. Me and David had a three-hour ride back to L.A. from Fresno, and I asked him, David, did you like doing that? Do you like doing this? He says, yeah. He's a Vietnam veteran. He was a medic in the Army. Saw lots of combat tours. And we started talking. And I says, hmm, maybe this is something I could do. So I started doing it MMA because it was easier for me to get in with MMA. Right, more opportunities. In boxing, everybody wanted to work with Stitch. They wanted to work with Rudy, Carlos Vargas, uh, Ruben Gomez. You name it, the list goes on, right? Right. Miguel Diaz, 
who the hell am I? I was begging people to to let me work with them. Hey, I'll work for free. Hell, I'll pay you to let me work. Right. So Joe Chavez, legendary cut man of Oscar de la Hoya, Miguel Cotto, lived near my work. And he used to sell boxing equipment, buckets, gauze, tape. Well, I'm one of the partners of War Tape. So I go talk to Joe. I had met him a couple times. Well, you know, he's just he's an older guy, and he's just like, I'm just another guy to him. I go buy buckets and gauze and stuff that I didn't even need. And finally, his wife took a liking to me, Virginia. And Joe hit me up one day, and he goes, Mike, do you need all these goddamn buckets? What are you doing with them? What are you doing with all this stuff? <laughs> I said, Joe, you're a legend. I look up to you. Um, I just kind of want to pick your brain. And we became friends. Wow. And right about that time, I reconnected with Stitch Duran. Stitch Duran is internationally known. Yeah, he's in the Rockies and everything, yeah. Stitch Duran was my boxing coach before he was ever Stitch when I was in the Air Force. Oh, no shit. When he was just Jacob Duran working for R.J. Reynolds Cigarettes, because we're both from the Bay Area. Damn. He lived near Travis Air Force Base when I was 19, 20 years old. And now he's this huge international icon. I don't even call him Stitch. I, I just out of respect, I call him Jacob. Yeah. That's how long I've known him. Wow. And then I'm friends with Miguel Diaz and Carlos Vargas and Ruben Gomez. And you have David Martinez and Joe Chavez and Indian Willie. And you got all these guys that are just, they're legends. And they're willing to help you out, too. They were. They were. And I'm just so grateful that they never put up any roadblocks for me. You know, that led me down the road to work with prelim fighters and Joe told me one time, okay, you're done working with the guys getting the shit beat out of them because that's how you practice. Right. Now it's time to get you some contenders because it's like, you might know this, when you go with your boys out to a club and no chicks want to talk to you because you guys are having a freaking salami fest. There's five <laughs> of you in the corner, right? Been there too many times, you guys are like You guys are like sword fighting over there. <laughs> but as soon as some good-looking girl starts talking to you, guess what? Game changer. The other girls look at what? Oh, there it is. What's going on over there? Exactly. And <laughs> what's, that, what's their status? <laughs> and that's and that's the fight business. Yeah. And that's the fight business. And now to be able to call all those people I mentioned, including Rudy, my peers. What's crazy is every guy that I just mentioned. I'm going to mention Aaron Navarro from Texas and Bobby Benton, Danny Milano, and um, with Rudy and and there's Russ Amber from Mon from Montreal. We're all really good friends. Yeah. A lot of the guys coming up now, those are the ones that are kind of stabbing each other in the back. But we all give each other that professional courtesy because we all work. There's no coincidence that you see the same five or six guys working with all the top guys. Yeah. When people say, oh, the best, you know, people like Pepsi, people like Coke. Hell, I used to like Shasta Cola. As long as your fighters, the trainers, and the managers are happy with your work and as long as your peers respect you, that means more to me than any other accolades. Absolutely. Uh, is, is having respect of your peers and having and having the appreciation of your fighters to do what you love at a high level. My son's a cut man, my son Andrew. Oh, wow, cool. He works with about 15, 20 of my fighters. The training wheels are off. He's worked world title fights by himself. I have fighters now that don't even call me. They call him. I'm like, Damn. what are you doing? Like, So-and-so called me. But he likes the same music as me, so sorry, Coach. Yes. You know? <laughs> so what's better than doing what you love with the love with the ones you love most. Yeah. And I just think there's two things in this world that I live by. You have to have passion. Okay? And it's great to have passion. 
but you have to have compassion for people because everybody has like we've just like we're talking everybody has their own story they have their own script and and it's i don't like to judge people you know people in this world today are so cynical and judgmental and we're so divided right but if they got in a room like with you and me like we're doing right now it's hard it's hard to hate your brother that you know yeah even if you disagree on things it does it's too hard you just look man i work in law enforcement and obviously there is a lot of deep-rooted political feelings one way or the other that are mostly toward the right. Right. I'm one of those guys. I'm not toward the left either. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not no bleeding-heart liberal. I'm not no extreme right. I kind of like to look at each decision and each each issue on its own merits and let my let me make a decision. Of course, yeah. Before I dig that rabbit hole that I'm already making a decision because of my race or because of my political affiliation. Yeah, yeah. And I just think of people get in a room and they talk. I, I have the benefit, Danny, of, of, of living in both worlds. I live in a law enforcement world, a quasi-military organization. I'm proud of former military. But I also work with fighters from Russia and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and the Ukraine and the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Argentina right. and, and Mexico and Brazil and guys from the inner city of Brooklyn and Brownsville and, and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. and Chicago and the worst areas of East L.A. and South Central L.A. Those are the fighters I work with. So I never lose perspective of not only where I come from, but where they come from. And I think once you can get in a room and sometimes you can agree to disagree and there's no hard feelings, that's where the compassion comes in and then you can pursue your passions. Absolutely, yeah. We, we've had some crazy, like, well-traveled people around here. And that's like the number one thing they talk about the most is that like the more you travel, the nicer you get because you realize how good you have it here. You realize how not only good you have it here, but you realize other perspectives. You get you get a lot more compassion. Remember, uh, we had a, a BMX like legend, like top of the line. He's actually from my neighborhood in Whittier named uh, Mike Escamilla. He was one of the first guys we had on the podcast. And that was like a childhood idol sitting in front of me. Like we heard stories about Mike when we were kids. And he, that's the one thing he talked about because he's a stuntman in movies. And traveling with BMX was like, I asked him like his best lessons of traveling. And his, he always said, dude, just, I learned how to be so nice to people. Like I was always nice already. He's like, but when you go around to like, you know, Ethiopia, when you're going around to like these other places, like you come home, dude, like you squeeze your kids, like you, you give your friends hugs, you call them 24 seven just to check up on them. Like you do small things like you were mentioning. And that's why I've always had like a big affinity and respect for Cutman because to me, they're, they do like the unnoticed job on TV. That's when people, a lot, of, a lot of times, if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you're paying attention to what the trainer's saying, the fighter on the corner, but you're not really paying attention to the guy that's we, doing all the work. We get noticed when we when something gets screwed up really bad. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's when people notice us. Yeah, exactly. And Some of the best work that I've ever done or I've talked about with other, fi- other cut men, nobody else noticed but us. Right. Because we didn't let a problem become a bigger problem. But that's that's law enforcement. You're already used to that. That's the yeah. same exact thing. You I, know? I have the same philosophy. I don't get paid for what I... What I do sometimes, I get paid for what I might have to do. Right. And what if you dialed 911 and nobody showed up? And it's the same thing in boxing. You have to answer that bell. Right. And you got to be there for the people you're supposed to be there for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the one thing that um, I've always respected. It's it's, like you mentioned earlier, it's always about the journey. And, um, you know, when you're part of that cut, we had Brad Tate on recently. He's a UFC cut, I'm sure you know who he is. And, um, it was really cool to have, hear his story because he was talking about how he's a small kid from Texas, blah, blah, blah. 
And there's this ver- like this video that went viral about like two weeks ago. It's him putting Vaseline on a little kid's face. And he's just like, you know, the kid, they bought nice tickets. He's next to the to the octagon. And his dad's like, hell yeah, like thanks for doing that for my for my boys, doing all this stuff. And then I, I put the Instagram post up like, hey, this is what we had on the podcast, Brad Tate. And I put the video up. And then that dude, that kid's dad reached out to me. And he was like, hey, that's actually my son. I'm the one that's rec- I'm the one who recorded that. Um, my son's a huge five fan. He wanted to be a fighter, but he has a cyst in his brain and he can't be a fighter. So I thought I'd make it my dream to at least take him as, to as many UFCs as we possibly can. Took him like 20 straight. But like that whole story of just Brad, I'm, Brad didn't even know that. He was just being Brad. Like that's how much of a difference and, and, and he can that, make. And that's what makes it even more genuine that he didn't do it because of that. No. He just did it as his general standard operating practice of the way he treats people. Right. And, you know, hats. I, I, I know of him. I've never met him. Um, I respect all those UFC cut men because they're put in some really tough situations. With some, You know, boxing has its own type of cuts, and I've worked a lot of MMA. I've worked Elite XC. I've worked Strike Force. I've worked Bellator. My boxing travels now because I work with about 55 fighters worldwide. Um, and Damn. I hate to say it, just like they're always complaining the MMA fighters don't make as much, uh, the, the boxing is really where my bread and butter is at. Right. I have tremendous, a lot of great friends that work MMA, and... and and for him to do that, the small things that you do, I was just telling somebody a little while ago that it's the small and simple things that you do that really add up in somebody's life. It's not the extravagant things. Like you got Valentine's Day coming up, right, which right. I usually disappear around that time for a few days. <laughs> um, um, treat somebody like that all the time. Yeah. You know, not just at Christmas, not just at their birthdays. And, and you know, this last couple of years... Man, to say that I've lost a couple dozen people that I, not just people that I were acquainted with, but friends that have passed away, family members. I mean, it's it's been a rough couple of years. And, yeah. And, and you think we would come together, but unfortunately, man, we're, when I say society in general, we're just as divided as, we, as we've ever been. So, you know, it's those simple things that, that you have to appreciate and, and, and just knowing that everybody's got their own journey through this world and and let them have their space and give them their dignity and give them their respect. And that's something, as a cop and a law enforcement officer, that I take tremendous pride in. I've never lost focus of the fact that I'm here to serve the people. I'm a public servant. You know, and sometimes too many cops, they get too cynical about things and they create this own narrative and dialogue that maybe they're the victim. It's like, right. no. You know, I, I'm going to digress a little bit. Somebody from high school put something on National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day on Facebook. And I appreciate it. They included me in that. Right. But then we had a little conversation, and I said, you know, I appreciate it. It's nice to be appreciated. But, you know, I do make a living at this, and I get paid very well for what I do. Right. You know, more than school teachers and more than volunteer firemen, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Appreciate those people because, you know, as, as much as I love my job and I have a passion for my job, I mean, I've been doing this for 34 years, Daniel. I could have retired last year. Damn. I do make a good living at this, you know? Right. So, you know, sometimes when people heap praise on you, it can kind of make you uncomfortable because, yeah, I make a good living. and Everybody wants to be fairly compensated. It's no different from the fights. To be fairly compensated by your fighter, just it's a level of respect and appreciation. But that's not why I do it. You know, right. sometimes I, I'm blessed to do two things like being in the blood business. I'm a boxing cut man and I'm a homicide detective. 
to do two things that I love to do at a high level. I love being in that arena. Yeah. And where all that pressure's on and maybe things speed up for people because you only got that less than a minute to work on your fighter. I'm blessed because of my upbringing. Those ass weapons. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> my athletic career, boxing, the military, being a cop and working some of the worst areas and some of the most hellacious cases the last 34 years, everything slows down for me. Yeah. And I know guys like Rudy and Stitch and Carlos Vargas and Danny Milano and David Martinez and Miguel Diaz. I know those things slow down for them, too, because they've already been there before. And what we're seeing now is really nothing new. It's just kind of a play on something and a model of success that we've had before. Absolutely. And I just think that if you don't panic, your fighter doesn't see that you're panicking. Because if you're panicking, guess what? Your fighter's heart rate's going to go up, and he's going to pump more blood, and things are going to get a lot tougher for you. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, and you learn that as a as a cop. You learn that as a you can learn that as just a normal person. Like, Absolutely. You know, just being a normal person at a funeral. You know, and you you keeping your shit together. I can't. You at know, a funeral. No, it's I'm, tough, right? It's you know, tough. I've, I've seen the worst things, but everybody will tell you, man. I, I'm that guy that cries at movies. <laughs> me too. Uh, don't worry. Every um, time I watch Rudy, I'm a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> for me, the last minute of playing trains and automobiles as funny as that movie is my favorite movie of all time yeah people don't ever watch that movie the last minute of that movie is the saddest shit ever man because you find you realize some things that they were laughing and joking about wasn't a joke to one of the guys um it's just do what you love man and and nobody should ever tell you what how you should feel nobody should ever tell you what you what and who you should love yeah totally agree and it's very apparent that you have that relationship i've I've seen it on the screen. It, it's it's obvious when you when you can you can tell through the screen when someone has that relationship with a fighter, when they have it with a trainer, and I mean you're everywhere, man. Like how, how did you even crack into Wildcard? Because I mean <laughs> that that is the biggest, that's probably the most popular gym in the world, I would think. Yeah. I mean like well, considering you, where it's located and and celebrities go there, you know. When you think of the greatest trainers that ever lived, the custom models, the Emmanuel Stewarts, the Angelo Dundees, Eddie Futch. You have to include Mr. Freddie Roach. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Shout out to Freddie and Maria Wildcard. Um, you know, I, I paid my dues over there. I wasn't the guy over there. I was the guy they would call when their main fighter was fighting in Vegas, and they had another fighter fighting in New York, and they would call somebody else. Yeah. And then the local kid that was fighting at the ballroom in Burbank, hey, let's give Mike a call. He'll work with that guy. But the one thing that I always try to do is I try to play my position and be an all-star at my position. And over the course of the years, you develop those relationships. I didn't really put this out there a lot. I've known Freddie since before he was a wild card when he was training at the old Outlaw Gym. Oh, wow. Back when James Tony was there, Alex Ramos, Rudy Zavala, John David Jackson, way back in the early 90s when I thought I might finally make a run and turn pro after being on the Sheriff's Department, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> All right. Now I'm a lover, not a fighter, you know, and I'm not, I'm not good at either one of them. So I'm a cut man. You know what I mean? Fuck it. Those that can do and those that can't teach and those that can't teach, teach gym, right? You were in high school, right? There it is. All your PE teachers, those guys weren't mathematicians or Hell brain no. surgeons or ophthalmologists, right? None of them. They were guys that got like some kind of uh, junior college was like the best six years of their life, exactly. right? Exactly. Never in shape either. Not even no. good at their own job. No. <laughs> Having you play some stupid game with a parachute or... Yeah. That beanball, dodgeball game? Something, yeah. yes. So, I don't know, man. It's just, I'm blessed to be here. I, I like I like being a positive influence on people, and that's why because of the people that I mentioned, I don't put roadblocks to guys coming up and wanting to be cut, man. I'm not going to knock somebody else's hustle. 
if they start to get a little out of bounds and they start not playing their position and getting out of their lane because they're here's the one thing about a cut man when MMA came around you don't see the really top guys trying to be cartoon characters but there are guys out there that feel like they got to have a funny hat yeah a cute nickname I got to bring a niche to this and it's a funny vest we're not Wiley Coyote and the fucking Roadrunner man right Somebody asked me in a previous show, hey, how do you get known for being a good cut man? They go, Mike, you don't have a cute nickname. I don't see you with like a fancy vest or a cute hat. First of all, my head is not designed to wear a hat. Okay? It's not. It's barely designed to put these headphones on. Okay? <laughs> but I don't want to be a cartoon character. I have too much respect for boxing and the sweet science. Right. It has been a part of my life with my dad and my brother and my uncles and grandfather. The greatest memories that I have in my life started sitting around a, a TV watching boxing, Muhammad Ali. Right. Guys like that, you know? Yeah, you know. Joe I, Frazier. Absolutely. To me, that's, um, I played baseball my whole life, and that was that was my thing. And to me, that was the kid who wasn't that good, who had the fucking fancy gloves, who had the, the fucking eye black. His mom had the Gatorade from like he was the kid, he, the best cleats, but he fucking didn't care about baseball, and he went 0 for three, and he wasn't that good, and like the kid who didn't wear shit, who walked to the game, maybe rode his bike with his glove, with his bat in his glove, and was, you know, ran every play out, you know, dove at every ball, even, it, even if you think he couldn't catch it. That's the kid I want to fucking play with, and that's the kid I respect. Right? Because they have, you know, why? Because they have passion for what they're doing. Yeah. And when you have passion for something. You're going to put the effort forward to make sure that you're going to do it. Some things are out of your control, man. Sometimes you're just not good enough. Yeah, that happens too. It, it happens. But at least give it a shot. Yeah. And I think that's what I regretted for so long until I got older that I didn't give myself. It's my own fault. I didn't give myself a shot as a fighter. That's my own fault because I couldn't cross that bridge. Right. Maybe I was smart not to because, you know, at 55 years old, I still got all my faculties. I like to keep myself in shape. And my destination and journey was going to come in a different way. I can't help my homicide victims. You know, I have to be their voice when they're dead. I, don't, I always tell the families, I didn't know your son or daughter in life. Um, I have to know them in death through you. But with my fighters, I can. I, right. can, I, I, I can help them. That's what I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask like that uh, that failure that that you hold so dearly. How, how much do you use that with your fighters? Where you're like, I know what it's like to have a dream and then not do it. So if, maybe if you see a little bit of resistance on their end, well, you know they can go harder than what they're yeah. giving out. Do, do your personal lessons come into in, into that play? Absolutely, because it's a hard thing to self-evaluate yourself, especially as a man. Fuck yeah. To almost tell yourself that at some point maybe you weren't man enough. Yeah, it's the worst. And then you have to kind of go back and forth with yourself. And I'm at peace with it now. There are days I wake up and I still feel like I can fight because I can shadow box okay. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when you start getting hit again, you start realizing, man, this is you had the respect that I have for any professional fighter. Right. Not just a 20 and 0 guy. I have just as much respect and I try to show just as much respect to that poor guy that's three wins and 12 losses. You know why I respect him more? Because he knows he's going to go in there and get his ass whooped. But he still signs up and he still does it. Fucking amazing. And to me, that I owe him that respect. So when I get pissed off when I hear somebody talking shit about a fighter or he's a bum, 
I'm like, motherfucker, do you know this guy would whoop your ass? Absolutely. The only person that you got <laughs> thinking you're tough is your fat girlfriend because you got your little tap-out shirt that's a medium, right? Yeah. And you got those little fat muscles because you can't flex Maybe fat. Maybe the little earrings with the holes in them. Yeah. It's like, dude, he slapped. I'll, not only will he slap the shit out of you, I'll slap the shit out of you. Right. So I just, I don't like bullies. I don't like people that take advantage of other people. And I don't like people talking shit about other people unless they're standing. If you got something to say to somebody, say it in front of their face. Right. It's easy to talk behind their back. Absolutely. That's why I was thinking is the most dangerous thing about boxing is um, it's the it's the sport that tricks you the most into thinking you're good. Because I see people get into it and they look terrible and they know they look terrible. And then give it a couple months and they, and they start looking better. They look good. Their form's getting better. They're responsive. But they've only been hitting mitts. And then they start hearing that clearing sound. Bah! They start It starts sounding good. Oh, yeah. And then now you're going home going, I'm the shit. And you haven't gotten punched in the fucking chin once. And, yeah, your form's good when someone's directing you in front of you telling what to do. And you've done it over and over. But is your form good three or four rounds when someone's smothering you, when you're getting hit in the face, when you spar and someone hits you clean once and you can't eat for fucking three days because your chin hurts like a muscle. All that shit. Like, it's not. So people go home and they get this hubris and they're like, yeah, I've been boxing for a while. Like, Dick, you've been hitting gloves for a while. You haven't done shit. You know and, and, and I think because the last 15 years or so, mitts have become so important. When we used to go to the gym, you didn't hit mitts. They tell you, get in the mirror. Yeah. The shadow box. I was talking to this two weeks ago with Freddie because the, the, the times I like a wild card is when all the fighters are out of there. And it's just me and Freddie and little Marvin and Peppy Riley. And Peppy, yeah. Peppy's one of my best friends. I love him. Shout out to Peppy and Marvin as well. Uh, Peppy and I, do uh, we do holidays together, man. He was a great fighter. He was on the 92 team Olympic team with, with De La Hoya. He kind of yeah. gets lost in the shuffle. He didn't have the success as a pro that, that, that Oscar had, but he's every bit as good as Guy. And he knows his stuff. He led uh, former world champion Ray Beltran as a trainer to the title. Damn, Beltran was a shit. Yes, and Freddie um, Pepe's one of the trainers there with Freddie, so we get to work a lot. Guys with Imanis Stanionis, um, Elvis Rodriguez. We just crowned, and I went with them to be his cut man with Mark Magsayo. Great who, fight. Who beat Gary Russell. And I just had dinner in Vegas with uh, Mark. Um, shout out to Mark and his wife, Francis, because they bought me this like $150 steak in Vegas at the Mandalay Bay the other God night. God damn. And they're just great, humble people, and he's totally changed his life he's a world he woke up that sunday morning three weeks ago and he's fucking wbc featherweight champion of the world the same title the salvador sanchez held that's right the same title that juan laporte held god damn i mean the same title that marco antonio barrera held the same title that manny pacquiao held welcome to the club mark maxile wow you know he looked he looked fucking phenomenal he I mean, I, I know the comparisons came in about, like, Pacquiao, and I, I could see it. I know because it, it's not as simple as just saying, well, they're both Filipino. Their footwork, the way they go in and out of the pocket is, is ridiculous. They're very explosive guys. Yeah. They can cover a lot of ground with their feet. Absolutely. And when they hit you, they hurt you. That's, that's what I was thinking. And not only that, what he does different than Pacquiao, I saw him throw a lot of uppercuts. Like, great uppercuts. Well, like, Manny's a southpaw. Right. So there's a certain style and certain angles. Mark's a conventional right-handed fighter. Man, yeah, and and he actually their their legs are just phenomenal. You, their both of their legs are phenomenal. It's ridiculous. I was blessed that Freddie and Sean Gibbons brought me in at the later stages of Manny's career. I mean, to work with the only eight division world champion in history. I remember when he fought Crazy. Keith Thurman a couple years ago. We're at the MGN, and somebody was great enough to film this from my back, and me and Freddie are on the apron. They're singing the national anthem, and Pacquiao's moving around, and the crowd. The anthem is not even done. And the people are going crazy. And I have this video, and I'll show you when we go off air. 
And I'm literally standing there looking down at Freddie, and I'm like, I'm fucking here with Manny yeah. fucking Pacquiao. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had my sister and my son were, you know, were, were and her husband were, were in the audience, and I'm like, and I'm very gracious because Sean and Freddie gave me that opportunity. Right. They trusted me enough to be Manny's cut man. He's had some great cut men over the years. Through your own hard work and skill, obviously. You know, I I like to think so, but there's um, you know, you have to have people that have faith in you. And, that if, you, too. and if you don't have people that have faith in you, this world, all this stuff's for naught. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you go home and you shut your eyes, man. If you're by yourself in this world, there's nothing worse Absolutely. than just being alone in this world and to feel like you have. The wild card is my home gym. I'm equally connected to John Pullman's gym up in Northridge. But I have fight families all over the country. Beautiful. My buddy Sosa in New York. What's up, Sosa? He's in Brooklyn. Got Chris Colbert in two weeks. The bread man, Stephen Edwards in Philadelphia. Henry Ramirez out in Riverside. Robert Garcia out in Riverside's a great friend. Joel Diaz in Indio. My whole Texas fight family with like Aaron Navarro, Bobby Benton, and Ronnie Shields. You know, I got a lot of good people. A lot of good people in Vegas. Ismael Salas, the legendary Cuban trainer. Wow. So when Pacquiao fights, going to fight Spence, Manny hires me. But I worked Spence's fight right before with Spence. I've, I worked like nine of Errol Spence's fights. Goddamn. But I'm working with Manny. He's going to fight Spence. Ugas is on the undercard. That's right. Spence gets hurt. That was a car crash, right? No, he was he had a detached retina. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So who's now going to fight Manny? Jordanis Ugas from Cuba. <laughs> Jesus. Who's his cut man? Me. <laughs> they call me Mike. You know he's fighting Manny. Yeah. Guys, I'm already booked with Manny. Ugas wins, right? Right. So I've worked with Porter when he won the title. Twice. Right. Ugas, Spence, Pacquiao. All the best welterweights. <laughs> okay, so now you got Butia from Russia who beat Jamal James. I was his cut man. Who's he fighting next on the Ugas Spence undercard? Imanis Stanionis from Lithuania. Jesus. Out of what gym? The wild card. Who's his cut man? <laughs> who did I just start working with? Jerron Ennis, who's going to probably fight all these guys. Right. It's just crazy, and sometimes you got to make those decisions. Um, I already, you know, I'm not going to go against Freddie and Marie in the wild card. That's my fight family. I've known Freddie for many years, um, and it, but you're just blessed to be in that position. Yeah, you know, it, I think again, it goes back to your character. Like if you being connected to so many people, it, it's not from kissing people's ass. It's not from you having a niche like you said earlier. It's you just being Mike Rodriguez, and that's the most clutch thing. That's the best thing you could do. And it's the most respected thing. We had Robert Garcia on the podcast, too. I think he mentioned you, actually. Um, and it was bananas, man, because it's such a small world, man, boxing. Look, I talked to Robert yesterday, and we don't work as much together now um, as we used to. Mm -hmm. Just nobody's fault. It's just the way it works. But he hits me up last week, and he says, Mike, hey, I got some extra cut medicine. Uh, and it's really hard to come by now. They stopped making it. The price is completely jacked up. Hey, man, thanks for thinking of me, bro. I sponsor him with all his fighters of war tape for years. Um, and he sends it to me. And I go, how much do I owe you? He says, sends me a text yesterday. And I'll read it to you. He says, bro, you've always been great to me, my family, and my fighters. Wow. I wanted to do this for you. Wow. You know, last year, Freddie, me and Freddie had the same birthday, March 5th. 
Okay, so everybody mark their calendars. Yeah, I'll be. I'll, be, I'll send them a nice email. And, <laughs> and when you see the wild card family come out in force for Freddie's birthday, I was there because it's Freddie's birthday. It's my birthday, but it's Freddie's birthday. Right. And Freddie's a great friend, but you know they included me in that. Every bit that they had for Freddie, at the wild card that day, they included me. Wow. It just meant the world to me. It's a huge honor, yeah. I still have that picture framed in my house of me and Freddie standing there. Damn. Next to a cake, you know, that they were kind enough to include me in that. And that's part of that journey thing that people overlook sometimes. People in today's society, they want to get somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. They don't want to have it through hard work. They want to show their ass or they want to know whatever they want to work out. Whatever it is they want to do. I I don't hate on people. <laughs> Man, if that's your journey and you got a nice ass and you got nice boobs, <laughs> hell, I wish I had a nice ass and nice boobs. I'd probably do the same thing. Um, But it's the people. that we're in the Whether you're a homicide detective or you're in the boxing world, you're in the people business. Absolutely. If people can't stand being around you, they're not going to be around you. They're going to make a different choice. All things being equal and having the same capabilities. Um, I know I'm going back and forth, but that's just how my mind works. Because no, this, not at all. Because this stuff... It all ties in. It all ties in. It all ties in. I've had great mentors. I'm able now at Homicide and younger detectives to be able to mentor them. That's why I like doing the Homicide School. I get detectives in the early stages of their homicide career, and I have a tremendous staff. You know Louis Aguilera. Yeah. Louis carved out a, a, a great a great reputation in his own niche in this in the homicide world. He's worked a lot of tremendous cases and big time, high profile cases, guys that paved the way like, like, like Gil. And there's a bunch of guys that you probably don't know. Gil's partner, Frank Salerno from the, Le- the documentary legendary. His son, Frank Jr. Retired from Sheriff's homicide as well. Wow. You know, the guys that trained me, the, the Mark Lillenfields, the Phil Martinez is the, the Joe Purcells, the Billy Marshes, guys that are legends to me. When I look at them, those are my New York Yankee, Joe DiMaggio's. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Babe Ruth's, Roger Maris. Those are the guys that I look up to. And, and, and that's when you look, when you look at that championship pedigree that I'm able to have it with homicide because of these, because of these people. Wow. I'm able to have it in boxing because of people, because of people like Freddie, because of people like Robert. I think Freddie has 51 world champions. Robert's probably in his 30s now. Having a... A world champion as a trainer is a little different than a cut man, but I'm proud to say that Mark Maxile was my 21st world champion. Wow. That's you phenomenal. And, and a lot of the world champions are from different countries, and I've had two female world champions, Jelena Marinovich from Canada and Jessica McCaskill, who is badass. She's half Latina, half black from Chicago. Damn. And she is the undisputed welterweight champion of the world. She got so many belts, we can't even carry them all out there. That's Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike Rodriguez, it all started from just going to someone's house with a little bit of gauze and tape, yeah? And just saying, I want to pick your brain. Yeah. That's yeah. how it starts. When Joe told me, you don't need all these fucking buckets, do you? That's what I'm I saying. Like, no, I don't. That's what I'm saying. It starts from that, and um, hey, I, I don't want to take up... Oh, shit, sorry. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We have to definitely do this again. But we have to do this again. That's why I keep it short, too. I want the people to go, fuck, that was good. Bring him back. But um, it was an honor of mine. You know, I've heard multiple stories about you my whole life, pretty much. Don't believe... You can believe about half of them. <laughs> a lot of them, not, 90% R-rated. No, I'm just messing yes, up. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm an older guy now, but I did I did have a prime. A lot of guys didn't have a prime, but I like to say I did have a prime in tremendous, my 20s. Tremendous, tremendous. That's all that matters. No, but um, 
Yeah, Robert Garcia, Rudy Hernandez, Gil Creel, all these guys have said. And I think Rudy owes me breakfast or lunch at Liliana's. Oh, no shit. I think he I'm does. I'm going to give him a call tomorrow. I'm telling yeah. him he's, he's fucking up. Yeah. We'll do that. But um, thanks again for stopping in. You know, I know I know it's a lot to travel down it's here not, and take it's time. Not. Remember this. People make time for what they want to make time for. It's 100% true. If they don't want to make time for it, they won't. If it means something to them, they will. I'll definitely do it anytime you ask. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mac Rodriguez. Thanks. Much love. This has been Alternate Take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the great cut man and homicide sergeant, Mike Rodriguez. Thanks for joining the show, Mike. I really appreciate it, man. It was a huge pleasure of mine. I've heard nothing but great things about you from Rudy Hernandez, from Gil Carrillo, and now uh, to be able to call you my friend is a, is a great deal for me. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, for all of you guys who are looking to see what more of what Mike does, you can catch him at Wildcard Gym. Uh, you can catch him at he is now actually commentating fights. You can catch all of his social media in our podcast link. And, uh, dude, the dude's a legend. So thanks again to Mike for stopping in. And uh, follow us at Alternate Take DR. And we'll see you guys soon. Peace.